sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. We're back on the grid hour number two of college football today. Excited to be here with you uh, every Saturday morning. Uh, Joe obviously continues on through the rest of the day doing in-game live. Be sure to keep it locked here on the grid even after this program, which I'm sure you're here by appointment viewing. So be sure to keep it locked here. We track all the games all throughout the day. We'll give you recaps. We'll give you uh, live lines and, and a lot of different angles that are helpful. Look, you may not like some of our picks before the game, uh, and that's okay. But during the game, we'll, we'll track it to make sure that you have – uh, those appropriate uh, odds. And for those of you not familiar with live betting, I, I think it's really important to let you know what that is. In, in those states where you're able to do it, those live lines can really be an advantage show to bettors if they didn't love a line before the game. And perhaps, you know, let's just say, we'll take uh, BC Duke as an example. Say you wish BC had a couple of more points, right? You, you'd be, feel more comfortable with them laying five or six or even a touchdown than you do the three and a half that they're getting right now. Well, the game starts, Duke comes out, they kick a field goal, boom, it's already a bump up. You might get a couple of points bumped up to five, five and a half. And now you're feeling more comfortable to bet BC live where you may not have bet them at three and a half, correct? It's all about finding value, Mike, and you're absolutely correct in that assessment. Just to give you an idea about how much the line can move, when you look at that matchup with North Carolina and Syracuse last week, North Carolina went off as a 23-and-a-half-point favorite. By halftime, they led 7-6. to six. That line was 6 and a half points in favor of the North Carolina Tar Heels. If you jumped in less than a touchdown, you never look back because North Carolina won that matchup 31-6. to So if you're on the wrong side early, you can always hedge out. Or if you, you have uh, an opportunity where you make a good pick early on and your team jumps out to a 14-0, 21-0 lead, you could always hedge in that type of aspect to tr try and create a middle. Yeah, so let's go back to the stories of the day in order to give you a sense of how this momentum from the Big Ten has created a second wave uh, of college football conferences potentially looking at it. We see uh, here from Nick Piat Piotrovich. That's it. I got it. I got it. Nick Piotrovich. Um once again, a big push from the MAC administrators and coaches to play fall football. ADs in the MAC met yesterday, which was a few days ago, and I'm told the tone was completely different. The MAC doesn't want to be the only FBS league that remains postponed. So, your thoughts on the MAC potentially coming back, Joe? Well, the MAC was one of the early conferences that made a decision not to play college football. Their conference tie-ins happened to be a lot with the Big Ten, and they were going to lose out of two Big Ten games per school, which would be anywhere in the area of about a million and five dollars, you know, 1.5, 1.9 in that area. So now that the Big Ten is on board, they don't want to be on the outside looking in and possibly have the opportunity to at least get to an eight-game schedule to recoup some of the losses because they're one of the conferences 
just from a revenue standpoint, Mike, they don't sell out each and every year. They have those ESPN games on Tuesday and Thursday nights and Friday nights that bring in revenue dollars. And if they're not the only, if they're the only conference not playing in 2020, just think about the repercussions, not just this season, but in 2021, they might not have a conference in terms of college football. Yeah, they're probably not going to get those buy games, right? Because we're playing conference only schedules. But right. I, and I think the reason that the MAC canceled early was that schools like that that are budget strapped to begin with, uh, they're looking at the other conferences going to conference only schedules potentially. They know they're going to lose those lose those buy games, and it's an important component when there's no, they're they're losing some of the buy games, then they're losing a certain amount of fans, if not all the fans, and that associated revenue. Plus, there's the added cost of all the tests that need to be done on multiple times a week. That's really difficult for schools like that to swallow, to be fair to them. They understood that this was going to be a revenue, a, a, a huge revenue decision that was not going to be in their favor. No, not at all. You're absolutely right. And they We're, cut uh, other programs. in the radio audience as well, sorry. Just to come back in terms of, you know, the testing protocols, they cut other programs like baseball, basketball in some schools, women's basketball. So just to keep football alive and to have that opportunity to test two and three times per week is one of the main reasons why they decided to cancel early. But now everybody's back. And those TV dollars do matter to those schools like Toledo, Western Michigan, Ball State. I mean, they get money coming in from that, even though they might not play the Big Ten uh, Conference champions and, and the Big Ten games, they matter as the season plays out. Yeah, and Mountain West also considering coming back. This statement from Mountain West Commissioner Craig Thompson, multiple subgroups within the conference are working daily on solutions to the existing challenges in order to facilitate a return to play for Mountain West football and other conference sport programs at the earliest possible opportunity. It is notable that it is not just football that these conferences are having return. It's the thing that we'll talk about here and that most people will focus on, but it does mean that the other sports will be able to compete as well. So I, I feel happy for some of those seniors that may have thought that they lost their final season uh, and bringing them back. So uh, so that's it. We got M- Mountain West and the MAC looking at it. The Pac-12, we'll hear more news on them soon. We got players coming back. Rashad Bateman, Wade from Ohio State, other players trying to opt back in. As you mentioned, Micah Parsons, I, I, I would imagine the NCAA will free them of their Uh, restriction after having hired agents in some cases, but uh, that remains to be seen still. We'll come back. We'll talk more games right here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Uh, back to the grid talking games. Uh, just a quick update. We're seeing a line movement uh, all morning, Joe, and I, I think that's typical of any college football Saturday as the money starts to come in. The BC line now back up to four and a half. So money came in on Duke, uh, pushed a BC to a four and a half point dog now 
on the road. So uh, we'll continue to see line movement all throughout the morning. We'll track it during the day. But let's talk about the games that we had uh, slated for this segment. That's Notre Dame right now. We had them at 23.5 point favorites just a few minutes ago. Uh, we know that they only allowed 82 points in the second half last week to Duke, dominated that second half. South Florida, on the flip side, used three different quarterbacks who combined for 102 passing yards on 25 attempts. So is this one of your favorites of the day? Where are you at with this game right now? I sort of have a good feel. Not one of my favorites, but I like Notre Dame for the first half. You saw in the first half last week against Duke, you saw Ian Book get acclimated with his wide receiver core. They struggled. He lost his top three wide receivers from, from last season, and I think it showed in terms of the first half of that matchup against an athletic Duke defense, but they started to get the rushing game going. Kyron Williams stepped up. He had over 100 yards rushing, also caught two passes for 93 yards, and I like Notre Dame to start fast in this matchup. You look at South Florida, they dominated the Citadel last week, 27-6, to but this still was a defense last year that allowed 200 yards rushing. I favor the Notre Dame offensive line. I think they run early and often. That'll open up the passing game for Ian Book. I think Notre Dame covers this number first half, minus 13 and a half, in a big way. I think they make a statement a little bit later. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this one simply because Book wasn't that impressive. I think he'll be looking to redeem himself to some extent, and I think it's important that uh, Notre Dame and Brian Kelly have a little bit of a smoother effort uh, all the way across the board. I, I don't think uh, Notre Dame's effectively in the ACC conference for this season. They normally play ACC opponents, but I, I think anytime you're playing a, 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 an opponent, especially a coach like David Cutcliffe that you've matched up against a few times, you can't necessarily – roll the ball out there and beat him by four touchdowns. It's not typically not the way it works, which is why I'm leaning towards Syracuse, even though they were so bad last week. I'm with Mark and you on that one. So uh, let's go over to our next game, UCF at Georgia Tech. So UCF had plenty of fireworks last season. They ranked second nationally in total offense in scoring at better than 43 points per game. They returned many uh, key players from that 10-3 and three team, and it includes Dylan Gabriel, Joe. Yeah, this is, I believe, a very difficult matchup for Georgia Tech, just from a scheme perspective. I was on Georgia Tech last week. Uh, we talked about it in last week's show. They average 18 pounds on the offense and 17 pounds on the defense in terms of pounds per man that under Jeff Collins from year one to year two. But they're still a slower team. They can't run sideline to sideline, and they're going to be stretched by a UCF offense that averaged over 200 yards rushing and over 300 yards passing uh, last season with Dylan Gabriel, the freshman, that did throw for over 3,000 yards last year. So that's the matchup I expect to play out. Look for UCF to utilize short to intermediate throws, tire out that Georgia Tech defense, and that'll lead to big plays over the top and not just in the passing game, but in the running game as well. I just don't think Georgia Tech has the speed to keep up with UCF later today. Yeah, Tech currently eight-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. So you got the home dog factor, which is interesting. But as uh, Joe stated, 29 touchdowns last year for the freshman Gabriel, nearly 3,700 yards. On the flip side, Jeff Sims in his debut for Tech, 277 yards. That was not an easy assignment for him in his debut, but he was admirable, obviously. They had a couple of scores late to uh, upset Florida State. 
Think about this in terms of the Georgia Tech offense last year and making the transition from the triple option under Paul Johnson. Last year, they only averaged 133 passing yards per game. Jeff Sims comes up. He has a dynamic performance, throws for 277, makes some plays on the on the ground with his legs, and Jordan Mason stepped up. They have a big play wide receiver in Malachi Carter that did uh, stretch that Florida State defense uh, in the second half, and I think he can make some plays in this ballgame. But again, when you're talking about the personnel, the personnel of UCF, they have depth at every position, even though 10 players opted out, including two starters on defense, they still have a speed advantage over Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is much improved under Jeff Collins from last year, but in this type of matchup, I think they get dominated by a faster team in the Knights. So why is it? I'm just going to pause here for a second before we get into our next game, which is a big one, Louisville, Miami. Why is it, do you feel, that UCF has been able to be so successful? From Scott Frost to Josh Heupel, obviously they have the long unbeaten streak, but from Scott Frost to Josh Heupel, he's been able to keep this offense at an extremely efficient and top rate. So second nationally in total offense. This is not; These are not phony stats. They are putting up big numbers offensively every year. Talking about a former quarterback for Oklahoma, right? Josh Hypo yep. was a big player within the Big 12 back in the day, so he understands the type of speed. Exactly, exactly. So he understands the scheme. He understands how to coach up the talent at the quarterback position. And when you look at the, just the drop-off, Daryl Mack, the former starter that came on for Mackenzie Milton, got hurt. He broke his ankle uh, and missed some time. That's where Dylan Gabriel came on and really progressed as a freshman under the tutelage of Josh Heupel. So he has that train moving. He's a good recruiter, understands the landscape, and now it's a matter of he's in a rhythm. I've always said this. Play callers, offensive and defensive play callers are like pitchers. They're like quarterbacks. Once they get into a rhythm, it's very difficult to disrupt that. You need to think outside the box. You need to be aggressive on your offense and defensive play calls as well. And when you just look at Georgia Tech as a whole, this is a smooth transition, but it's a timely transition, meaning they went from the triple option to a more balanced offense and defense. That's a huge time frame. It's not a one-year fix. It's year two and year three where you see the residual effects of Jeff Collins' success. Good stuff. So uh, Louisville at Miami. Last year... This was an annihilation, 52-7 to result in favor of Miami last year. As much as uh, Mark and, and yourself and I talked about Louisville and how well coached they are, that was a difficult pill for them to swallow last year, uh, getting blown out like that. Um, we think that we obviously think to some extent that Louisville can bounce back from this, not the least of which is Tutu Atwell, their star wide receiver. Yeah, Louisville has the most explosive offense, in my opinion, in the ACC behind Clemson. You look at their quarterback, Mikael Cunningham, 343 passing yards last week against Western Kentucky, three touchdowns. It's not just Tutu Atwell. It's Braden Smith that had 110 receiving yards. It's Des Fitzpatrick as well, and running back J.B. Hawkins. When you look at that matchup last year in South Beach, Miami won that matchup on the interior. Offense and defense alignments, they sacked. Cunningham three times, rushed for 191 on the ground, but it was a wet track. It was a monsoon in the first half of that matchup. So now they go on the road. If the U is back, 
They need to win tonight and make a statement. Players like Quincy Roach, players like Al Blades on the defensive side of the ball need to step up and force turnovers. In prime time, I think they do it. I'm calling for the upset, the mild upset, plus 112 on the money line. The Hurricanes get it done over Louisville and Scott Satterfield tonight. Uh, interesting. So we have to keep in mind, you got Derek King, the new QB there. It's first-year offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley, is in there trying to get King and the rest of the crew on his page. Obviously a work in progress, but you suspect that not just tonight, but for the rest of the year, De'Ara King will be one of the most explosive QBs in college football? I think he will. And you saw his athleticism on the outside, on the perimeter last week against a solid physical UAB defense. He rushed for 83 yards and a touchdown. He can make up for the ineffectiveness of the offensive line for the Hurricanes. Uh, good stuff there. So we're going to come back. We're going to have Rob Vino next. You find him on Twitter at Rob Vino Sports. He's going to talk through a couple of the games that we actually have not gotten to yet, a couple of under-the-radar games. It's good when we have a smaller slate because we can get to more games percentage-wise, but uh, you'll find out what those games are next. Join us on the grid. Keep it locked right here after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Mike and Joe back on the grid. Again, follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid, on Instagram at SportsGridTV. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We're going to try and bring Rob Vino in here next at Rob Vino Sports. He's got a couple of games lined up that he wants to talk about. I'll, I'll throw the first one to you as we try to get Rob connected here. Uh, App State at Marshall. Right now, App State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite uh, at Marshall. What's interesting about this game is that App State had initially had initially been slated to face teams like Wake Forest and Wisconsin on the road. Uh, facing some Power 5 opponents due to the uh, switching around of the schedules, due to the uh, pandemic. Obviously, the teams have had to scramble and find other games. Marshall was the team that App State was able to find to plug into their schedule, and it may end up being one of their tougher tests this season. Grant Wells is waiting in the helm, Mike, for App State and Zach Thomas and two solid quarterbacks in this battle. If I had to pick a side, I would take uh, the Thundering Herd in this matchup. I know they dominated Eastern Kentucky, but I can't lay the four and a half points on the road. It's going to be a very difficult environment for App Appalachian State, but I lean more to the over. You have two solid quarterbacks, two wide open offenses. I think they could put up some points in this matchup. So I like over the total uh, between App State and Marshall. I believe in Grant Wells that threw for over 300 yards uh, in his opening week performance against Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, Eastern Kentucky took it on the chin there. Colonels. <laughs> 59 nothing in that one. I've had a tough start uh, to the season. So uh, App State returns nine new st nine starters for new coach Sean Clark. Uh, he promoted he's promoted from his stint uh, coaching offensive line. So 35-20 over Charlotte last week. Charlotte obviously had the COVID-8 outbreak not playing this week. But uh, I, I'm picking up what you're throwing down with this one. 60 and a half, so it's a big number, but we got some capable, capable offenses here. We know that already out of the gate. 
Yeah, and the fact that Grant Wells got acclimated in the scheme with an FCS opponent, an extra week of preparation now to prepare for Appalachian State. I like that matchup. Appalachian State started slow last week. They got it going in the second half. They're more of an offense that needs to have success running the football, and then they work off a play action with Zach Thomas, but he could still stretch defenses vertically. I'm not sold on the physicality of Marshall as a whole from a defensive perspective, so that's why I think we could see a lot of points in this battle. Even though it's a high number at 60 and a half, I still lean to the over in this battle. Okay, next one we had a slated Southern Miss against Louisiana Tech. What do you think of this one, Joe? Yeah, I, people that know me know I can't buy in each and every week to Skip Holtz, but he's done a fantastic job in leading the Bulldogs each and every season. In this matchup, we have a, a unique scenario. Southern Miss, after losing the battle to South Alabama a couple of weeks ago as a double-digit favorite, their coach, Jay Hobson, has now resigned and moved on. So this team is sort of in flux. They're laying four and a half uh, points against La Tech. I would take La Tech in this battle. They're the more complete team have better offense and defensive line play against Southern Miss. I did not like what I saw from a physicality perspective and a scheme perspective against South Alabama. Defensively, I think this could be a weak Southern Miss team in 2020. Yeah, so keep in mind, Louisiana Tech's dealing with a lot. They had COVID cases within their program. They were supposed to play Baylor last week. Baylor now has their own cases. It never got together, yet both schools have their own cases. <laughs> uh, nearly, due to Hurricane Laura, nearly 95% of the town of Ruston, where Louisiana Tech is, lost power. So they've been dealing with a lot. As you said, uh, on the flip side, we're dealing with a coach, with a, with a program that lost their coach. What do you think was the reasoning for that, stepping away after the first game? I really don't know. It could be a couple of factors. It could be just the, the current environment of the COVID situation where maybe uh, Jay Hobson felt it was very difficult to coach under those parameters. He couldn't get his type of, uh, I want to say, um, you know, information or, or what he wanted to get across to his team in, in terms of practices. I don't know. Or maybe he just felt he was burnt out. You know, the fact that, you know, his team comes out as a 16-point favorite week number one against a team that lost I believe it was 15 straight road losses, and then you get blown out, basically dominated. Maybe he just had enough. I mean, it's eerily similar to former uh, Southern Miss head coach Jeff Bauer that walked away from the program over a decade ago. So not really sure. They said that he got with the AD. They were on the same page and made the decision, uh, both of them, to just move on and just go in a different direction. That's very odd after the first game of the season. So Scotty Walden is the new head coach there. He was a head coach at Division II level. Uh, so he steps in, expected to have a very high-tempo, fast-paced offense. So that could lead us to some points. But uh, honestly, with, with a, considering all the components of this game, I'd understand why some people out there would want to stay away. But Southern Miss really, despite all of Louisiana Tech's issues, Southern Miss, Southern Miss might even be in more of a – conundrum right here uh caught up in all, all this other stuff with the coaching change so uh let's move on to the third game uh, that we're set to talk about here louisiana lafayette your favorite team they are a ranked football team joe number 19 in the nation they're going up against georgia state 
So the so goes the landscape of college football. A double-digit underdog against Iowa State, win the game outright by 17 points, get two special teams returns for a touchdown. Next thing you know, you're in the top 25, right? It's amazing in terms of the, just the top 25 in 2020. I, I think if anybody had a gamble on what the top 25 would look at like at the start of the year, nobody would have had UL Lafayette in there, uh, even though they were 11 and three last year. Now they play Georgia State. State. Can they maintain the momentum? I think they can. They showed that they're a complete team. They have eight starters coming back on that offense. They showcased their talent uh, last week in Ames. I like Levi Lewis at the quarterback position, Elijah Mitchell at the running back position. They are loaded, and they come to play each and every Saturday. I think they dominate Georgia State, laying the big number a little bit later today. Yeah, obviously when they got the big win uh, at Ames, they had kick returns for touchdowns. So the special teams is a, a huge component there. But you and I had talked about Brock Purdy last week, and we thought that Louis, you thought Louisiana would keep it close, didn't call for the outright upset. You get credit for the W. But how disappointed were you in you know, Iowa State, just to sort of recap that one? Yeah, it's the one thing we talked about in terms of last week's show, the one I want to say question mark for Iowa State's offense this year was the offensive line. They only allowed uh, 18 total sacks as a unit last year, but they had five new starters coming back. And that's the one thing I think when you look at consistency under Matt Campbell, he's always coached up the offensive line going back to his days at Toledo. They'll get it right, but it's a lot more difficult when you don't have spring ball, you don't have the practice reps, and you're putting in five new starters to that offense. It, it, continuity and cohesiveness lacks, especially in week one. And this was a team in terms of Louisiana Lafayette that was prepared. They had eight starters coming back, and they had experience at the quarterback position, and I think that was the biggest factor. They limited the turnovers and limited the amount of mistakes uh, offensively and defensively. And, Mike, more importantly, specials can turn a game around in a big way, especially in terms of college football. Yeah, of course. Uh, Absolutely right. So, uh, we got a little bit of extra time to play with here, so I'm going to dive into some other games, if you don't mind. Now, we did talk Clemson and Citadel briefly with Mark Lawrence in the first hour. Do you have an approach to that game? Mark really said uh, he wouldn't lay 40 points if he knew the final score. Do you have a, a similar uh, thought process there? It, you know, the 56-and-a-half is telling you that the expectation would be sort of a 48-to-8 a type of uh, – no, excuse me, worse than that. Basically a a 50 to 7 type of game. I'm not a favorite picker in the sense of if I, if I pick a favorite, it really has to be a short favorite for me, uh, you know, 10 points or less, or if I really feel there's a significant disadvantage. Now, clearly, Clemson is the best team or one of the best teams in the nation, and they should dominate this battle. But look at look at last week against Wake Forest. All the numbers suggested that Clemson would cover that 34-point number. They jumped up by 34. They put in their backups and, and wound up winning that ball game by 24 points. Citadel, a few years ago went on the road to to Alabama and Tuscaloosa as a 52 and a half point favorite and were tied at halftime 10 apiece 
So keep an eye out for that as well. Citadel plays very well, especially on the road, and they like to face the big boys. They're a run-heavy offense. They can slow down the tempo and shorten the game, and that really limits to the underdog cover in that matchup. I would only take the points in this ball game, but it's not one of my better plays for today. Okay, I'll throw another one at you since our guy Shane Bichelle is out there. SMU uh, at North Texas. SMU, two touchdown favorites, 14.5. The total is 69.5, which I'm looking right now through all the games. That is the highest total on the board of the day. Yeah, it, it, two high-powered offenses, and SMU struggled a couple of weeks ago against Texas State without Xavier Jones, without their big play wide receiver, Prochet, that moved on to the NFL. Reggie Roberson stepped up. Uh, I like SMU today. I think both teams mirror each other, but SMU has better talent with the extra week of preparation with Sonny Dykes and a veteran quarterback in Shane Bouchelle. I think SMU covers this number fairly easy. I think they win by 20 points or more uh, against North Texas at 6 p.m. With that kind of total, do you expect it to just be up and down like a open track you, all day? You, or you are you think- worried about these larger totals? Well, the larger totals, you always have to worry. I mean, the total was 70 when they faced Texas State, and it was a dead under. So all it takes is one quarter where there's no scoring, and you're really at a loss in terms of getting over 69 and a half. I'm particularly worried in a season like this, even though they both, even though SMU's got a game under their belt, I just, I just get worried about teams having to put up so many points early in the season uh, based on everything we talked about. We'll come back. We'll have one more segment before we close it out. Mike and Joe on College Football Today. Get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the grid, uh, got a, a segment here to play with. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Rob Avino on with us, but uh, a little technical issues in nature of the uh, pandemic, nature of uh, co- broadcasting in COVID times. Uh, so we'll have a little bit of fun uh, with this, Joe. We're going to do your plays of the day here, and we got a few lined up. Let me uh, let me get to this. Here we go. What do we got here? Uh, Joe Lisi's plays of the day, obviously starting it out with Boston College. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, Boston Let's College. Go. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a homer, Mike. I'm going with you. The co- my co-host is a is a grad, a big alum, and I think they can run the football. I said it before. Their heavy offensive line that averages 307 pounds can wear down Duke at the point of attack. They can control the tempo of this matchup. Keep Chase Bryce in that offense on the sidelines. And more importantly, I expect a much better effort out of Boston College's defense than last year, especially in year number one under Jeff Halfley. Linebacker Max Richardson leads that defense. I expect them to step up. And the running game is still a concern for Duke, Mike. They average 2.5 yards per carry. That's not going to get it done against Boston College. Outright, outright victory over Duke today on the road. Like I said, Joe, there's nothing but unbiased, <laughs> objective uh, analysis and <laughs> advice on this network. So, uh, it, again, 
we the graphics are all the graphics on occasion are going to be a little bit off. Our apologies for that. But these lines are moving as we're talking during the day. This line started the week at six and a half. It is now down to three and a half. Um, another line that is not one of Joe's plays of the day, but it gives you some sense of what happened earlier this week. The Cincinnati Austin P game is at 33 and a half. It is now at 41 and a half. And as we've talked during this show in an hour and 40 minutes, and we, we talked about that game about 90 minutes ago, it has moved four points. It was 37 and a half. Now, if the game plays out like it did last week, bad times for all betters because those bets were voided last week as they called off the second half, which can happen on occasion. But uh, we'll go to the next game on your board, Joe. And that is, excuse me, as we bring up the graphic, that's Tulane. So you have Tulane uh, that you like here as a favorite hosting the midshipmen. Yeah, close game last year. Navy jumped up 21-0. Tulane tied it up, and then Navy won that matchup at home with Malcolm Perry by three points. But if you watch the second half of Tulane's performance against South Alabama, you saw the offense and defensive line start to take over. I like their quarterback in terms of uh, the way he progressed in the system last week. He stepped up. And, and Tajay Spears, for me, is a running back you have to keep an eye out on. 105 rushing yards. Uh, he stepped up in the short intermediate passing game as well. Cameron Sample, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Richardson, their linebacker as well, stepped up in terms of physicality. The way you disrupt the uh, triple option, big physical defensive tackles that clog running lanes, that allows the linebackers to fill those gaps. I think Tulane has a significant advantage. They run it will at Navy just the way BYU did BYU rushed for over 300. Expect at least 200 by Tulane today. They win by double digits at home. So Tulane laying five and a half. That total is at 45 and a half. Just since Joe's going for the outright upset with BC, money line at plus 168. It was at plus 180 uh, as as recently as yesterday. So that shows you that. And we have seen in tracking the bets, the very high percentage of the money line bets are coming in on BC, uh, over 90% of those money line bets. So people expecting an upset here, potentially, Uh, certainly I'm hoping for it as a uh, a homer. But again, uh, Tulane, five and a half point favorites going over to your next bet and one that I think I'm a little surprised at this only because you like Louisville and you've spoken glowingly of Louisville, but you really expect Miami to bounce back here. So you're calling for Miami with the upset here. That spread is down to, I think, one and a half is what we had it uh, just in the last segment. But you like both the money line bet and you might as well take the points. This is a scenario where you would probably split the bets right here. Louisville laying a point and a half. So you can get Miami at plus 100 on the money line and get the point and a half just for sort of insurance. The U in primetime, if you're back, you step up and you make a statement later tonight in Louisville. Uh, I said it before. Louisville is a dangerous team, but I liked what De'Ara King showed me in terms of his athleticism. He took pressure off of Miami's offensive line. They were ran on UAB, 337 total yards. Cameron Harris, what a big night. I expect it to continue uh, on the road against Louisville. The defensive front, Quincy Roche, dominated the offensive line of UAB. Uh, 
see. I expect the same. And Mikael Cunningham struggled with his reads and progressions last year against Manny Diaz's defense. I'm expecting the same. Even though they're playing at home, they have offensive weapons. Miami, to me, gets it done in a big way. I think they get a seven-point win over the Cardinals later tonight. So the implied total, according to the books here, would have you about a a 34-32 final, something like that, with Louisville winning. That's the, the implication. When I say that, for those that are a little bit less experienced, you just take a look at what the total is uh, posted on the, in on FanDuel Sportsbook. This is our partner, and please go to FanDuel Sportsbook for all your latest lines and, and your in-game lines. So you look at the total. You figure out what the math would be if it they play it out according to the spread. It's really simple math. This would have you basically a 34-32 Louisville victory. They covered the spread. You go over by a half point. That's that's the way you start to do the math. But I, I set that up to ask you, do you expect that to be the type of game where teams are getting into the 30s? It could happen. I mean, they both have the type of offensive playmakers to put up points in this matchup. I think the defenses, though, do dictate the tempo early on. And if you're Miami, I just don't think you have enough offensive weapons. They got it done on the interior last year, and that's where they wore down a smaller Louisville uh, defensive front. I expect the same type of scenario, running the football on the road to take the pressure off the offensive line. But keep in mind as well, when you look at the defensive front for Miami, they dominate the Cardinals in that matchup, three sacks. That was with Mikey Becton on that offensive line, and they still found a way to get to Mikael Cunningham. So I think that's the matchup that you have to be concerned about if you're Louisville. Not only that, but you have a senior quarterback in De'Ara King. That's the biggest transition. They had an experience at the quarterback position Miami did last year. That put pressure, that put them into long third down situations. You saw last week against UAB when the play was wasn't there. De'Ara King took it, he tucked it, and he ran, and he made first downs and kept drives alive. That preserves your defense as well, and that's what you need to do on the road to get a solid win. If you're a good team, Mike, I've said it before, you're able to win on the road. Good teams dominate and win on the road, and you, if you can't do that, you're just an average ball club. Yeah, to your point, uh, Jaron Williams, the previous quarterback in Miami, has transferred out of the program. D.R. King uh, immediately came in and was installed as the starter and is one of the favorites uh, on your Heisman wagers, although those odds are likely to be changing shortly. If Ohio State steps on the field, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were sort of co-favorites of the Heisman uh, headed into the year. I, I wouldn't go, to be honest, I wouldn't go anywhere near the awards bets this year because I don't know when teams are starting, how many games are going to be played. I think those are difficult wagers for me this year in the futures market just because I don't know if players might lose games. Clearly, anybody can get injured in any given season, but this is really unique. We're seeing all kinds of game cancellations, Joe. And in order to win the Heisman, per se, Mike, you need that marquee moment, right? You need that big type of game. Well, if one of those games gets canceled off right. your schedule, that can lead to some of these dark horse uh, candidates such as Kyle Trask and Ian Book that we mentioned in terms of 45 to 40 to 1, respectively, at the start of the year. That can open up the door instead of some of these front runners like Trevor Lawrence and Spencer Rattler. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a better way to phrase it. When I say don't go anywhere near it, I, I think I just wouldn't invest a lot uh, in it. I think you can take some of those longer shots. Uh, Trask and Ian Book were guys that we liked as longer shots, but you could go maybe even a little bit longer if you see a path to somebody winning a whole bunch of games. But um, so, all right, good point there. Your next one on the board is UCF. We talked about this game a whole bunch. Uh, just a little bit earlier. You think Dylan Gabriel is just going to dice them up today, yes? I do. I, I think it's going to be points of plenty. If you want a, a similar type of scenario in terms of matching up with UCF, look at that matchup last year uh, in terms of UCF against Stanford. Stanford is is built, in my opinion, the same way like Georgia Tech this year. They have solid quarterback play, but not elite speed on the perimeter, and they got blown out by a, a faster team in, in the Central Knights. So I think that's the matchup uh, that you'll see play out on the road. Now, I will say that UCF, in terms of their three losses last year, all came on the road or on a neutral field site. So they need to turn it around in terms of this season. But I think this will get them healthy. I think a dynamic performance by Jeff Collins and the crew in year one. But uh, Mike Norvell just implemented a new scheme. This is a process and a scheme that's been implemented at UCF for at least five years now. They're a well-oiled machine and have the type of personnel to really exploit the defensive weaknesses by Georgia Tech. I'm glad I brought up in our previous segment, SMU gives us a chance to recap that pick as well. So SMU basically laying two touchdowns. I think our latest up to date was 14 and a half there. Shane Bichelle going up against North Texas with the biggest total of the day on the board. Yeah, to me, North Texas, from a defensive perspective, can't stay up in terms of the the tempo of SMU in this matchup. I think North Texas will be able to move the football on SMU. Texas State did. They had some offensive line issues. But the, the, I expect North Texas to wear down in this matchup in the second half of this ballgame. Shane Bouchelle threw for over 300 against Texas State two weeks ago with the extra week of preparation That'll allow him to get that quarterback to wide receiver relationship with Roberson and Hill, those big play wide receivers. And that's where I think SMU has the advantage over a smaller defense in North Texas. And we'll throw the graphic up one more time for everybody to get a recap of Joe, Joe's go for the loot plays of the day. <laughs> play on go for the two. He's at go for the two. Go for the loot today. Keep in mind, these spreads are changing. Throughout the morning, we've seen the Cincinnati spread go up over four points just this morning. BC, uh, that spread has moved around down to three and a half, back up to four and a half. The money line coming down, though. So it tells you, Joe, that there's more there's more money on BC right now. There, there happens to be a lot of tickets on them as well. So that's one of the instances where it seems like public and sharp bets may be aligned. And favorites, too, in terms of favorite teams, Boston College, Notre Dame, Army, Navy, even though they step up each and every Saturday, they are public in terms of favorite money. So Boston College does get their fair share in terms of people throwing down money just to watch the ball game. So uh, we'll see how it plays out in a couple of minutes, but I feel good about Boston College on the road in Durham. Yeah, get in is the hashtag for Jeff uh, Halfley. I'm going to get in on that broadcast in about seven minutes. Excited to watch them uh, for the first time in a while. Like anytime you have a new coach and you're a fan of a team, I, I think you're energized by that. And, and clearly, uh, I am. So got some good information there from Joe. Obviously, we talked to Mark Lawrence, uh, and uh, we're going to have 
We're going to get Rob Vino on one of these days to make sure that we get all his information as well. So uh, keep it locked here. We're going to close out the show next. We'll give you the latest information that we may have on the grid. It's college football today headed towards kickoff just about seven minutes away. We'll be right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And we're back, closing it out here. Three minutes away from kickoff. Mike Blute and Joe Lisi, thanks for joining us today on College Football Today. And we'll... uh, Talk about a couple of things here, Joe, before we wrap it up. We've given your plays of the day. Everybody knows how excited I am to watch my alma mater. But uh, what's going to be fun about next week is we're adding the entire SEC into the mix next week, right? We've seen some big 12 teams uh, try to get things going. Unfortunately, not all of them can get going, notably Baylor. But we're going to have Bama next week. They're playing Missouri, Tennessee, South Carolina, uh, Missouri, uh, Mississippi State, LSU, and uh, Kentucky, Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss. That's all next week. But we will be able to talk about more games. That's just going to be more exciting for all the college football fans and wagers out there. Yeah, we have to be flexible on the fly, Mike. We had five games canceled today, but, you know, that's the order of college football. It's next man up. And then when the SEC kicks off, we have some interesting storylines in terms of those week one matchups. We have Lane Kiffin for Ole Miss uh, starting his new regime in Oxford. We have Mike Leach in Starkville. Some quarterback issues that we've seen in South Carolina with Colin Hill just being named the starter over Ryan Helinski. So there's some interesting ways you know, games that are taking place next week. And we're going to start to see the line movement occur Sunday into Monday morning because that's usually when the lines for the week come out. These SEC lines have been out for three weeks now, but expect line movement Sunday into Monday. So good stuff there. You're going to be spending the next four hours with Scott Wetzel on In Game Live, correct? Yes, four hours and then three hours. So seven straight hours right here, locked and loaded in the mothership, watching college football, Mike. Yeah, you'll be able to find me tomorrow on uh, Pro Football Today. I'm doing the game day shows uh, both days this year, so excited about that. Keep it locked here on the grid. It's Joe and Scott Wetzel. Scott Wetzel is a maniac when it comes to in-game betting. He will honestly find you angles. You can find him on Twitter at Opposite Picks. Thank you for watching College Football Today. Thank you for listening to College Football Today. On the grid, keep it locked. Enjoy the day, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.